On this episode of Trickle Down Theories, Eric Trickle is joined by Khalid Alshami to talk about the rest of the AFC West, the Los Angeles Chargers, Kansas City Chiefs, and Oakland Raiders. What does their roster look like, and how do they look at this time for next season? We will discuss this and answer two questions from you, the listeners. Hi, hello, and welcome back to the 1983 National Football League draft. And with the first round, pick, John Elway, Jim Kelly. Welcome back to the draft. And with the first round, pick, Dan Marino and Rudolph. NFL draft. And with the first round, pick, Deion Sanders. I was kind of scared. I thought the trouble was going to take me. I would ask for so much money that I had to put me on layaway. Welcome back to the NFL draft. Good young players with the draft all about. Here in and you're out. Welcome back to the draft. Mark Sheevers running back. Tackle. Quarterback. Every year in the draft. Good afternoon, morning, or evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Trickle Down Theories. I am your host, Eric Trickle. On Trickle Down Theories, we talk about all things NFL and the draft, and of course, we have a small focus on the Denver Broncos, as I'm an analyst with MileEyeHuddle.com, and we, we just talk about all things, from signings, trades, rosters, team needs, Anything and everything you can think of. Joining me today is Khalid Alshami, also of Mile Huddle. Khalid, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Just following along with the Underwear Olympics taking place in Indy, trying to disseminate what's going on. A lot of exciting stuff happening. How about yourself? Pretty much the same. Always at this time of year, you have to have a close eye on the combine and all the going-ons there, especially when you're a draft nick. Now, we're going to jump straight into this, and we're going to start off with the Kansas City Chiefs simply because they've already made a couple of big moves. They traded away Alex Smith to the Washington Redskins and Marcus Peters to the Los Angeles Rams. This is a pretty big gamble as they're turning to Patrick Mahomes, letting him loose upon the NFL. They also lost their star young corner, even though he did have some issues on and off the field with his personality and temperament. They do get another cornerback in Kendall Fuller in return from Washington, so that'll help soften the blow there. They're also going to be losing Derek Johnson, that stud middle linebacker that they've had for so many years. And they've got some pretty big names or key contributors coming up on the free agent market that they're potentially going to lose. They don't sit at the best spot in terms of cap space either. They're currently sitting like a million or $2 million over the cap. So they have to free up even more room. And in the draft, they don't have a great set of picks. They don't have a great set of picks ever since they gave up their first to Buffalo to trade up and get Patrick Mahomes, but they did add another third and fourth round pick from the Smith and Peters trades. So they were able to add a little bit more help and they still have a, they have a decent number of picks in the top 100, top 150, which is a really good spot to have a good amount of picks this year. They do have a few needs on that roster. They got to get another receiver. Tyreek Hill can't do it all. Travis Kelsey. And then Conley. I really liked him coming out, but he just hasn't had a chance to really stay healthy and contribute. So they could actually probably look to add two of them there. They need help on the interior offensive line. They need a corner help, especially after losing Peters, even though they have Kendall Fuller. They needed a corner even before making that trade, and they could use some help on the defensive line as well. Yeah, and to the Chiefs' credit, at least, they have been pretty forthright about that this is kind of a rebuild year for them. They, Like you mentioned, they're already over the cap. They're going to have to cut costs. That's why the Marcus Peter trade had to happen. While I don't really like the move, I don't think you give up on a player that talented with the issues that he had. But I understand it. You're going to have to pay him after a year, and you really don't have the money to do so. Alex Smith trade complete makes complete sense. You 
drafted a QB last year that you believe in. He looked good against the Broncos in Week 17. He's starting moving forward. So it makes complete sense to move on from those two pieces to help cut cost. But they are going to have a ton of holes, like you mentioned. Moving Peters while bringing in Fuller, they're going to need more at corner. Albert Wilson at wide receivers, a free agent as well, probably not going to be retaining him. They're going to have to really do well in the draft if they want to rebound quickly because they're not going to be able to add much via free agency. Yeah, they're being really smart with how they're handling Patrick Mahomes and something that I wish Denver kind of did. Letting him sit that first year and then starting him that second year, that is something that we both talked about last week with Denver and what they should have done with Lynch. And also, he should have started that last game against the Raiders, his rookie season. Basically, exactly what the Chiefs are doing, Denver should have done with Pax and Lynch. And we don't want to spend too much time talking about the Chiefs since most of the listeners are Broncos fans and talking about them too much may cause some eardrums to burn, you know, the rivalry and all. But you mentioned Albert Wilson, and even with him, the Chiefs receiving core was lackluster. I mean, Wilson and Hill, they did, they were really good, but outside of them, they didn't do much. They just, it's just going to be hard for them to really bounce back and be a competitive team this year. This is why I think that at least for this next year, they're going to end up around four and 12 or six and 10, probably third place in the division, maybe competing with Denver for the second and third spot. They lost their star corner. They have the young, inexperienced quarterback they're trying to grow, and they have some new people. People on the staff for the offensive side of the ball. Something that's going to be a down year for them, but I wouldn't be surprised if they take the step back up in the following season. Yeah, I'm not quite as down on the Chiefs this year as you are. I do think they finished third place in the division, but I think they finished probably around seven and nine, six and ten, maybe eight and eight. For as much grief that we give Andy Reid for the coach that he is, he's still a good coach. He's especially in the regular season. He's a great regular season coach. The playoffs, of course, is another story. But I think they finished around 500, probably below 500. And it's going to be a growing year for them. They're going to have a lot of young players probably playing prominent roles, especially Patrick Mahomes, their new starting quarterback. So seven and nine is probably where I'd put them. They definitely are going to need to figure out the offensive side of the ball, getting some more playmakers for Mahomes, though. It's Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey and Hunt in the backfield. And that's it. That's definitely the biggest concern I have for them. And they need to address it and address it in a big way. Depending on how their draft goes, I can actually see them getting to 8-8, eight and eight, but with how their roster sits now, I just have a hard time seeing it. So this is something that we definitely have to reevaluate probably in like June or July after the draft and after free agency and see how different things are from now and then. I also did forget to mention, though, that they are playing a first place schedule next season since they won the division in 2017. So that I, I let me let me go back on what I just said. I think they'll finish on the lower end of that 500 area, seven and nine, six and ten, maybe five and eleven. They're going to have a tougher schedule than I anticipated. Now, we're going to move on to the uh, Oakland Raiders, unfortunately. They really overhauled their coaching staff. And in my opinion, as much as I don't like Jack Del Rio, I don't think he was bad enough to deserve getting fired this year. The issues with the Raiders were not solely his fault. I think they came more from the mistake they made last year by letting Bill Musgrave go and hiring the hot young offensive coordinator who fell flat on his face. They ended up bringing in John Gruden, who he's every time he talks, it sounds like he's stuck in the 1980s. And even with his coaching style before he retired, it seemed like he was still stuck in the 80s, that the NFL was changing around him and he couldn't keep up with it. So I have no idea how he's going to handle this year. And it's going to it makes it hard to predict what the Raiders are going to do. They haven't made many big moves yet. I think they released David Amerson, their defensive back. And that's about it that I can think of. And they do have a lot of guys set to hit the open market, but they don't don't have that much money so it's going to be tough for them although they can add 
add more money down the road. From what I remember, they sit at or just around 18 million in available cap space. With that's going off of the projected 178 million cap for the NFL this season. They have seven draft picks with no fifth rounder, but two sixth rounders. So it's really going to be hard for them to fix many holes outside of the draft because they have an extension coming up with Khalil Mack that they're already working on. That's going to take up a lot of that because he's getting ready to become the highest paid edge defender in the NFL, if not the highest paid defender in the NFL, period. Yeah, before I dive into that, let me just say, is Mark Davis not one of the most brilliant marketing guys in the league? He (laughs) decides to move the Raiders and abandon their fan base to move to Las Vegas, which first of all is going to be great money-wise for them. And then in year one, brings in Oakland legend Marshawn Lynch. And in year two, brings in Oakland legend John Gruden. Uh, I mean, just from my perspective of that, that's genius. He kept Raiders fans interested the last two years that they're going to be in Oakland. And I don't think I've ever seen a relocate team do something like that now did you see the john gruden hype video that they had oh it was ridiculous like it is hard to argue that mark davis is not a good salesman because that hype video had me hype and i hate the raiders (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i just come back to the fact that i just don't think gruden is ready for the modern day nfl yeah gruden has said some things during the combine so far this week that are just like baffling to hear from a guy who's been an analyst too it's not like he hasn't been around the league hasn't been around football He's been around everything. He he knows everything that's happening in the league, all the advancements that are happening due to the technology available to us. And for him to say he wants to take the Raiders back to the 1998, I think was the exact quote he used. What What is he talking about? That is the most ridiculous notion I've ever heard. So when he was signed 10 years, 100 million, first of all, what a ridiculous contract to give a coach. I, I immediately thought he's going to flop and Oakland's going to look like Oakland for this move. Or I should say the Raiders are going to look like the Raiders for this move because they're not going to be associated with Oakland too much longer. But to get to your point on the roster, there's also question marks at wide receiver and running back with Marshawn Lynch and Mike Crabtree being a couple names that have popped up as potential release candidates or restructure candidates and the front office trying to convince everyone that they're going to hang on to them. I think one or both are going to be gone, and I think Crabtree is more likely to be gone of the two. Marshawn Lynch will probably accept a restructured deal. And he's also great for the fan base to keep eyeballs on the games. So I'm looking for a lot of turnover for that team. And like you mentioned, Khalil Mack going to reset that edge market with whatever contract he signs. And it's also interesting to note that I think you threw this stat at me. He, amongst like the elite edge rushers, he ranks close to the bottom for sacks per snap, which is pretty surprising because Oakland fans love to talk about Khalil Mack being the most dominant pass rusher in the league which he's he's not even the most dominant pass rusher in the division, if we're being honest. Yeah, I was looking at Chandler Jones, Everson Griffin, Joey Bosa, Justin Houston, Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller, J.J. Watt, and a couple others. Aaron Darnold, trying to think if there's any. Ezekiel Ansaw was the other. Out of those guys, Khalil Mack was tied with Justin Houston and Aaron Darnold for last place in how many snaps it takes to get a sack with one sack every 84 snaps, which is still a great number. He's still a really good pass rusher. That's not even including the amount of pressures he's able to apply. But when it comes to finishing, he was there in last place and tied with Justin Houston and Aaron Darnold. Von Miller and Joey Bosa were both way ahead of him with Von Miller coming in at one sack every 76 snaps and Joey Bosa 
close to like one every 61. And funnily enough, Ezekiel Ansah was the leader with one every like 59 snaps. But that's because he's been used primarily as just a pass rusher and came out on run defense downs, which some of these other guys weren't doing. Now, we keep talking about this and how we how John Gruden, we don't think is going to turn them around this year. And <laughs> that's why I think that they're going to end up at the bottom of the division with maybe five wins. They still have a lot of talent, but they have a lot of holes. That secondary is still really iffy. I mean, granted, they have they've been dealing with some injuries and they have some nice talent there with Conley and Joseph and the safe, the other safety they just drafted last year. But there's still some holes there. They got to find a linebacker. And I, I would be surprised if they're looking hard at Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds for there. And they have some issues on their offensive line as well, primarily tackle. So they've got a, quite a few holes, maybe finding a stable tight end, some receiver help, because even though they say Crabtree's back, you never know. So I'm going to go with that. It's going to be a three to five win season. It's going to be largely because I think Gruden is stuck in the past and that this culture change that's coming is going to shock quite a few of those players, that they're not going to be ready for what Gruden wants out of these players and his disciplinary, because it is a lot harsher playing for John Gruden than it is for Jack Del Rio. Yeah, I think because Gruden's been in the booth for so long that people tend to forget the kind of coach he was. He's not buddy-buddy, you know, players coach. He's not that guy. He's always been an authoritarian figure that's been really aggressive with his players. I think I was watching a NFL Films clip the other day, and it's just basically him berating his players. All like it, Basically going through training camp, showing clips of him, and he's just berating players, berating players, berating players. And that's who John Gruden is as a coach. You know, it's all daisies and sunflowers when he's in the booth talking about every QB on the planet that he loves. But when he when it comes to you playing for him, he's going to be harsh on you. He's That culture change is going to be rough, I think. The other part I think of this equation is for me, Derek Carr is way overpaid, first of all. But he's he's not anything special. I don't think he's going to bounce back the way some think he will. I mean, he's going to be healthy, which that will help. But I, I never thought he was special to begin with. So I'm right there with you. I think they finished last in the division for five win season, maybe six wins, depending. But yeah, I don't I don't think that team responds too well to Gruden taking over. And that's just oh, I just go back to it. It's a really expensive marketing move, in my opinion. How many or what's the over under on Spider 2i bananas coming out of Oakland this next year? Oh, God, I, I want to set the cap at like 500. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's got it's got to be high. <laughs> Man, I don't know. You can't you can't go through anything with John Gruden as an analyst and not hear him mention Spider 2 White Banana at least one time every five minutes. I got to admit, though, I've always been a fan of John Gruden just because I've, I like his style. I like that guy that's not going to sit there and let you off easy. But as we said, I think it's going to be a rough sh- culture change in Oakland and soon Las Vegas. And his last few years in Tampa Bay, that, that team was bad. Like it, it wasn't even it wasn't competitive. It was a bad team and he was fired like he was fired for a reason. He was already becoming an outdated coach and which is, first of all, really kind of weird for a young guy to become an outdated coach in such a short period of time. Personally, I think this move would have been made more sense if he was taking a front office position because I think he's really good at trying to find that talent, but it just comes to developing it and controlling the players. I just think a front office move may have been may have been a little bit better for him personally. Man, but if he went into the front office, then the Raiders are looking to draft every quarterback that comes out every year. <laughs> 
Now, before we get to this last half of this, I just want to remind you listeners to please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners. So as a call to action, please go take the time to and go to iTunes or Spreaker, rate and subscribe and let your voices be heard on how well you enjoy listening to Khalid and I talk and ramble on and on and on. It's so much appreciated. The support you guys give us, you don't know how much it means to us being able to sit here and do what we do because of the support you guys give us. So thank you so much for that and please just go take the time and subscribe and give us a like now the last afc west team that we're gonna go over is the chargers they get better just by getting healthy it's pretty simple they had 13 players i think on injured reserve last year and a couple of them were key contributors or high round draft picks like forrest lamp who was going to come in and help fix that offensive line the issue is is can they stay healthy every year they have look really competitive on paper and then as soon as training camp starts they start getting decimated by injuries and just continues on to into the season and throughout the season and they're losing more and more contributors and just getting banged up all over the place they do stand in a pretty good spot cap wise with 23 million and they don't have that many must re-sign free agents coming up they can go in and make what few re-signings they have to. I think Antonio Gates is one and maybe try to look up Trey Boston and bring him back because he quietly had a really good season this last year. They sit with eight picks too to help fill out the depth of that. They have each of their own in each round plus a second, seventh round pick. So that they're actually in a really good spot for this offseason and they don't have many holes provided they can stay healthy. That question of staying healthy, though, is a huge question mark with the Chargers. I don't want to be too harsh on them, but I, well, like, what's going on in that training room that every single year they have, ha- uh, it seems like half of their starting lineup ends up on injured reserve. I, look, I'm a Bronco fan through and through. I've been a Bronco fan since I can remember. Since, I mean, yeah, since I can remember. But I, I respect the hell out of Phillip Rivers. He's a great quarterback. I may hate him for being a crybaby on the field, which he is. But the guy's a great quarterback, and I somewhat feel for him. Every year, he's putting up great numbers. He's leading his team with terrible talent around him. And it's not because the Chargers have terrible talent on the team. It's because they're decimated by injuries, and they're having to rely on guys who should be third, fourth string, or even on the practice squad. So that's a big if, if they're going to be healthy. I'd like to see them healthy. i like to see the other AFC West teams competitive. It makes the division better. Other other fans may not like that. They don't. They like a cakewalk to the playoffs. That doesn't build any character for your team. You want to have battles with your division opponents. So that's that's a big question mark, I think. But hopefully they can. And if they do, they're going to be good. And like you mentioned, they don't ha- really have many holes. Trey Boston had a great season. He's actually being talked about as one of the top available free agent safeties in a pretty bad market. But th- that not because of him. He's a good safety. That's a guy they should look to retain. Antonio Gates, like you mentioned, I, just because of what he means to that team, you need to bring him back. They have that young tight end, Hunter Henry, who is by all counts looks like the future at the position for him. He made, he took a big step last year and uh, they have playmakers on offense. Uh, Melvin Gordon, who we laughed at a couple years ago as being just another Wisconsin running back product is starting to look like a bell cow guy. And they have that first round pick at wide receiver Williams, I believe from last year. And he's returning to them with a full off season of health, clean health. So that that's the big question mark. Can they stay healthy? I think they do hopefully. And they are a team to watch out. 
for. Yeah, and I just got to add, we keep talking about their health, but these are guys that ended up on injured reserve last year. Hunter Henry ended up on injured reserve, even though he played, I think, 14 games, maybe 13. Forrest Lamp was put on injured reserve before the start of the season. Matt Slauson, Donovan Clark, both offensive linemen that would have helped the depth there. Jason Verrett, one of their starting secondary guys. Andre Williams and Kenneth Farrow, who are two running backs that they had some hope for. Um, And Nick Novak. I think Nick Novak is probably the worst injury on this. Even though he's a kicker, he is the worst injury for the Chargers to be on this list. Yeah, Nick Novak ending up on injured reserve, ended up in the Chargers, missing the playoffs. I firmly believe that they would have won the division. They would have won the first two games of the season. Uh, I think it was the first two games that they lost on kicks. So, uh, yeah, they would have made the playoffs if Nick Novak was healthy. Uh, I firmly believe that. And that's probably the biggest impact player that was on injured reserve, even though Forrest Lamp was going to be a starter. And for, by all accounts, is a is a kid that looks like a future stud. And Hunter Henry landing late in the season, obviously that's a big hit. Verrett, who is one of the better corners in the division, uh, ending up on there also is a rough, was a rough hit for the Chargers. Yeah. And you talked about this, and I was going to make this point about Nick Novak. Denver, the first game to open the season, if he was there and they make that they make that kick to tie the game and go to overtime, I firmly believe they win. Yes, you still had overtime to play, but the Chargers had all the momentum. Miami, they lost by two because they missed a field goal late in the game. That's week two. That's two wins right there. Philadelphia Eagles, they lost by three. And I'm pretty sure that they missed two field goals in that, that contest. They lost to Jacksonville, which I also think that they missed two or three field goals in. And that's just, that's not okay. That's why Nick Novak was the worst injury that they could have had on this. And, oh no, I was mistaken. In the Jacksonville game, they didn't miss any. And Nick Novak did kick in that one. So, my apologies, I was wrong there. Yeah, didn't they go through two or three kickers throughout the season, though? I'm pretty sure they, because... Uh, up first, I love the I love the kicker that they started the season with just because of his name, Young Hoku, coolest name in the league, hands down. So I wanted to see him succeed. He didn't. Unfortunate names out of the league. That sucks. But yeah, I think they went through two or three kickers, maybe four throughout the season. Like that was a huge issue for them. Like Bronco fans are pissed about the year Brandon McManus had. Imagine being a Charger fan and watching your kicker lose game after game for you. I mean. At least the Broncos weren't in those games. It's not like they lost the games because of their kicking situation. The Chargers lost games, missed out on the playoffs because of their kicking situation. Yeah, and to correct myself again, Nick no or not Nick Novak, but the Eagles or the Chargers didn't miss any field goals against the Eagles either. So I was wrong there as well. I thought they had. My apologies. But yeah, it's having that having that kick that field goal kicker that was that would have given them two more wins. That would have put them in the playoffs. And who knows what would have happened there because they were starting to get hot at the right time. Now for this next season, provided they can stay healthy, which as we've mentioned is a big if, they look like the team to beat in the AFC West. It's I can see them getting 10 wins at least to maybe even 13 wins. And it's just very dependent on can they stay healthy. Yeah, I think they're finishing first or second in the division. Uh, 10 or 11 wins more than likely as long as they stay healthy. I think we talked about it last episode, but I, if the Broncos land like Kirk Cousins, I think they're finishing first in the division. They play the easiest schedule in the division after finishing last last year. So they're playing a lot of fourth place teams from 2017. So 
I think the Chargers do finish though first or second, and they will be a either division champion or wild card team. I think they make it in the playoffs either way. Yeah, I agree. And you beat me to it. We talked about the Broncos roster, and I was actually going to get to our predictions here. And it is very hard to predict the Broncos because you don't know what quarterback they're going to get yet. And I can see them fighting for either first, second, or third place in the division with Kansas City and the Chargers. And they can go anywhere from five wins to, I think, 13 wins, depending on who they get at quarterback. Yeah, I completely agree there. The closer and closer we get to March 14th and a decision free agency wise on Q- at QB, uh, the more and more I think it's going to be Kirk Cousins. So assuming that they do land Kirk Cousins, I think they finish first in the division, probably 12 wins and lock up the AFC West again. If they don't get Cousins, say they get like Case Keenum, I still think that they're going to be finishing probably second in the division, probably a playoff team. I don't think they're going to have another losing season no matter who is at the QB position because they do have such an easy schedule. So I'm looking for them to finish with at least eight wins and potentially 10, 11, 12 wins, depending on who the QB is in a playoff spot. Yeah, and I can see that and I can agree there. Now, before we close this out, we have three questions, one of which I'm just bringing on Khalid now. And the first question we're going to answer is from David Cromlow on Twitter. And he asked, would you mind if Denver signed Teddy Bridgewater in the event Kirk Cousins goes to the Vikings? As far as Bridgewater goes, I personally am a big fan of him. He's a very accurate passer. He was looking like a guy who was going to be special for a long time before he had that nasty knee injury in training camp. So if Kirk Cousins does sign with the Vikings, which is why this scenario would come up. Yeah, I like Bridgewater a lot. It all depends on his health, on his medical. I'm sure Denver would bring him in, check him out. Have other doctors check him out, see where he's at. And if they're comfortable with him and they sign him, then I'm comfortable with him. I trust the medical staff that the team has. And bringing in a guy like Bridgewater would make a lot of sense. He's still very young. I think he's like 25 or 26. And he has he has room to grow. I mean, he missed that season because of the injury to his knee. And then he came back this last year. And a lot of people were surprised. They thought it would be a potentially career-ending injury. So that's really a tes- testament to him as a player, as a person, for his perseverance to get back on the field for the Vikings. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't mind if they signed Teddy Bridgewater one bit. He's going to be 26 years old in November, which he's January to November younger than me, which really makes me feel uncomfortable because he seems like he's older than that. It's weird. Once you hit that age where players more and more are younger than you, you start to feel weird. I just got to throw that out there. But as you said, before his injury, he was on the upward trend. Each year he was getting better. He was improving and he was showing visible growth on the field and off the field. Now, the issue is, is that the knee and obviously Denver will have to check it out and make sure it's okay but I would still go and draft a quarterback early maybe in the second or third round and I would want to structure the deal where I have an out after year one year two year three and so on and so forth where in case something bad happens or that knee doesn't hold up that the team can get out of it and protect themselves yeah absolutely that's the key is how you structure the contract if you bring Bridgewater in and that's really the same case if he ends up staying in Minnesota and re-signing to be the starter there the team has to protect themselves in whatever deal they agree to with him and wherever he ends up you do have to draft a QB you do have to have someone behind him that you can kind of groom where you're not stuck with Teddy Bridgewater being the guy that you're relying on so completely agree there and to your point on on age yeah I I turned 26 in August so it is really weird for me to cover guys who are younger than me it's 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 a weird dynamic just like you said 
Now, the second question we're going to get to and answer is from Little Schefter on Twitter. And he asks, if the Broncos decide to take a quarterback in free agency and assuming Bradley Chubb and Saquon Barkley are gone by five, who do you draft and why? Well, I think we're both going to agree that you got to take Quentin Nelson. If you're staying put at five, you got to take him. Khalid yeah. believes in his ability to play tackle a little bit more than I. I just, I would rather keep him there at guard. And I know you would too, as we were talking about this before we started recording. And just let him be that standout guard and let him play there. I mean, a front three interior offensive line group of Nelson, Paradis, and Leary is fantastic on paper. And you can do so much in the run game with just those three. And then Denver has to find a tackle and you have yourself a solid starting five. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I love Quentin Nelson. If you're staying at five and the Chubb is off the board and Barkley is off the board, uh, personally, I like Chubb a little more than Barkley, uh, especially because Denver kind of has a need opposite Von Miller. But Quentin Nelson's my guy. That guy, I mean, what, what he said today at the combine he's a monster like i love his demeanor i love everything about him and not only that but in taking nelson you're not pigeonholed into taking potentially a tackle in round two or reaching for a player because i i know you're not as high on it i think he could be an elite tackle in the nfl right tackle especially when he was recruited to notre dame he was recruited to play tackle and they put him on the field at guard because stanley was starting on the left side and mcglincy was starting on the right side so it's not like he ended up at guard because for lack of talents or anything like that. He ended up at guard because he was too talented to keep off the field. So I really like his fit with the team whether it be a guard, whether it be a tackle. I mean, he could play either. And I just love the nastiness he has about him. I think he was talking about why he would prefer to stay at guard today. And he mentioned some of the nasty interior linemen in the league, like Aaron Dar- Donald, Geno Atkins, you know, th- that group of guys. And he said that there needs to be interior offensive linemen who can go toe-to-toe with them. And I love that answer. That's a great answer. He also put up 35 reps on the bench press today, which is, I mean, that's exactly what you want to look for out of an offensive lineman. I mean, that's elite territory. So I think you add a guy like him, he's automatically going to be a pro bowler year one. He's going to be an all pro almost every year for the next decade. That's a guy that you want to get at five. That's the impact player, just like when Denver drafted Von Miller, that you want to get in the top five of the draft. Yeah, now bad joke incoming, but I mean, wouldn't you want to play Quentin Nelson over Stan Lee? I mean, isn't Stan Lee a little old? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was uh, worse than I anticipated. <laughs> Couldn't help but make the joke about Stanley. When I did, you hear that he was in the hospital? Off topic for a second. Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago, though, right? I think. He's yeah, it, it had me back. really worried. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 they can't take Stanley away from us. His cameos in the Marvel movies are what I live for. Yes. Now, the last question and the one I'm just bringing on you now also comes from Little Schefter. And I found it interesting. And the reason why I threw it in there is because I was talking about it on Twitter a little bit earlier. And it kind of relates to this question that he just asked. He goes, if y'all were general manager and CJ Anderson is out, do you guys sign a free agent? And if so, who? Or would you draft one? And in what round? One reason why I want to throw this in there is because this gives me a chance to get something out there. The Denver Broncos, from everything I have been told, firmly believe in Devontae Booker and D'Angelo Henderson to be the franchise running backs. They want those guys to take the next step and be something that doesn't mean they don't want to add to the group. They just don't want to do it early. They're looking at day three. And a couple names that I personally, I'm not saying that they are, that I would keep an eye on is Kalen Ballage from Arizona State and Daryl Williams from LSU. Daryl Williams is that big, tough, mean interior rusher who's going to 
pick up the short yarded situations very much like LeGarrette Blunt. And Ballas is just a playmaker who can run between the tackles. He's got enough athleticism to take it outside and he's can be a receiver and catch out of the backfield and do all sorts of things. And I don't I just don't see him going early, which is why if if Bradley Chubb and Saquon Barkley are there at five and Quentin Nelson isn't, that's why I would go Bradley Chubb over Saquon Barkley. Is that the thinking of that with the Broncos that they don't they don't want that star. They don't think they need that star. They think they can just make a three headed attack work similar to what the New York Giants had with, I think, what was called their Earth, Wind and Fire running back core. And the strength of this class just kind of hurts it. Sonny Michelle, I know a lot of Bronco fans like him. He just has some serious fumble issues. Nick Chubb, I'm not that big of a fan of. Ron Jones, I like a lot, but he seems a little too similar to Devontae Booker to me. And I'm if I'm looking for a third guy, I'm looking for somebody that's complimentary to him. I'm not a fan of Royce Freeman. I'm not a fan of Bo Scarborough and the fact that he put up 14 reps on the bench press with how freaking built he is, is astonishing and should be very concerning for anyone. Yeah, I think if they do address that position, which they will address that position, I shouldn't I shouldn't have said that. They will address the running back position. So I think they do it in the draft. I doubt that they go free agency. Maybe if the price is right, they can look at a guy like Doug Martin, but that's unlikely. He's hasn't been good the last couple of years, has had issues with drugs and suspensions. So that's that's I'm looking at the draft, as you mentioned. And the quality of the running back class pushes a guy like Barkley down for me. I don't want to pick him at five when you can pick a impact player day three, as you mentioned. Personally, I'm a little higher on Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle than you are. And both of them, I mean, if the combine revealed anything, you can't really question whether the guys down at Georgia hit the weight room. Chubb put up 29 on the bench press and Michelle put up 22. That's, I, I think both of them are in the top four or five for running backs at the combine. So that's really impressive to me. I like them, but they're both probably going in the second round and you're probably not looking to draft a running back in the second round. So uh, Balaj, I think, is a ideal fit. He can do a lot of things and he's going to be there day three. You could probably get him in the fourth round, I'd assume. And he'll be a, a good complimentary back to what you already have in Devontae Booker, who I think is a lot better than a lot of fans give him credit for. Before he got injured last year, he was going to be the number one back on the team in training camp. And then he got injured and that changed plans. So a lot of fans wondered why he was kept on the roster when he suffered that injury. And that's why, because he was, they had big plans for him last year. And that injury kind of derailed that idea. So I personally think he's going to do a lot better. And Henderson, your guy from last year's draft who I remember you pounding the table all, <laughs> you pounded the table pre-draft for weeks saying months. Henderson should be drafted. Yeah, exactly. For months saying Henderson should be drafted by the Broncos. And I'm pretty sure you targeted him the majority of the time in the sixth round for them. Yeah. And where does he get drafted by the Broncos in the sixth round? So when it comes to running backs, I definitely trust your judgment here. And I think Balazs would definitely be the most, the, the best pickup quality wise, where you can get him in the drafts and just the complimentary aspect of what he brings to that running back room. If you do add him. Yeah, I just want to say that I'm not low on Nick Chubb. I just think he's limited for the NFL game. And Michelle, I absolutely love. I'm just concerned with his fumbling issues. And Booker and Henderson have shown some of that. And I just don't want to add a third guy with fumbling issues to that group. Now, I also want to say this, too, is that last year I remember tweeting out that I would rather take D'Angelo Henderson in the sixth round than trade up into the top 10 right around spot number eight for Christian McCaffrey. And Bronco fans tore me apart. And when it actually happened where Denver, even though they did try to trade up for Christian McCaffrey, the price is too high. And then they take bowls and so on and so forth and down. And they take D'Angelo Henderson. The smile on my face and my reaction. Oh, this kid, he's going 
going to be something special. When I watch him, I see Maurice Jones Drew style of running. And I think that that's what he's going to end up being for Denver. I'm so bummed he didn't get to play much this last year. And I can't wait to see what he does going forward. Yeah, I was right there with you. Trading up for McCaffrey or even taking him at 20 just did not make sense to me personally. He had an underrated year with the Panthers. They aren't as good run blocking as a lot of people like to think that they are and he had a rough time behind that line so i hope he i hope he improves i hope he becomes the player that was drafted at eight for a reason but i'm not sure that ever happens so mccaffrey is a guy that once his first contract is up he might you know hit the open market and at that point go bring him bring him back bring him home to denver uh that that makes more sense to me but to have traded up for him or drafted him at 20 with the needs especially that the team had (laughs) just absolutely a ludicrous idea so picking up Henderson in the sixth round was an, a great was a great pickup. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people this year. I hope he has a really sizable share of the backfield work this upcoming season to prove exactly what he can do. Yeah, for sure. And from all accounts, everything I've been told is they're going to be turning to a three-headed attack, So, which I'm actually really happy for. Before we get out of here, do you have any parting comments? I think it's interesting just w- with the combine going on right now and all these prospects going through, you know, the underwear Olympics, obviously, and just seeing seeing all the overreaction to all the little things that are happening. But one place where there's not overreaction, I think, is with Orlando Brown, Oklahoma tackle. <laughs> How can you weigh nearly, first of all, he got overweight as can be. I think he weighed in nor- near close to 400 pounds, like 380 or something like that. And then he put up 14 reps on the bench press. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. And I think he came out with the excuse that he's always been fat. What kind of excuse is that? You're a division one athlete. Your job moving forward is to be ready to play in the NFL. I don't care if you've always been fat. Like this is one thing I don't understand with prospects who are going to be drafted high to the NFL. Like this is what your job's going to be. Take it seriously. Get yourself in shape. Lose lose a couple pounds. Don't skip the weight room. <laughs> like. This is all simple stuff, at least in my mind. I mean, what what do I know? I'm, you know, six foot, 190 pounds. Like, I'm not going to the NFL. But these guys who are about to get paid millions of dollars and have the ability to potentially get paid tens of millions of dollars over the course of their career, like, take it seriously, guy. That's that's all I have to say. Yeah, and it's funny because my parting comment was going to be about Orlando Brown, too. Showed up 6'8", 345 pounds, and teams wanted him around 320. At Oklahoma, everyone I've talked to said that he had con- had issues controlling his weight, and he would get a little hot, little heavy here and there. And using the fact that he's always been fat is completely ridiculous. And then to add to that, he put up 14 reps. He came in to the scouting combine, the biggest job interview he's going to have as a football player, unprepared. It's simple as that. He came in, he ate what he wanted, he didn't try to keep his weight down, and then he didn't even bother trying to work on the bench press, like practicing that. Because, yeah, these players practice that, and it's obvious when they do. It's just, it's astonishing, and it's just mind-boggling that this guy would do it. And I know a lot of people out there through that, oh, he's got 35-inch arms, and so that's going to be an issue with it. But over the last five combines, the average for offensive linemen with 35 inch or longer on the bench press is 23 and a half. He was about 10 lower than that. Like, come on now. 
He's unprepared. I know teams are hap- are not happy about it. They're really, really pissed to put it bluntly. They I know one I know one team took him off their board. It wasn't just because of the bench press and the weight. He was again put it bluntly, he was stupid when they met with him and he failed their whiteboard and so they took him off. Like he's not gonna be on their board. He's not gonna be in consideration for them when they it comes their time to pick. And I know for a fact that they are looking for an offensive lineman. And no, it is not the Denver Broncos. So show up better prepared. It's simple as that. Yeah, it's just wild for a guy who was recently being talked as potentially the first tackle to be taken in the in the draft. And now, like, we're talking about potentially second or third round for him. Uh, you just lost yourself millions of dollars because you're keeping your local McDonald's in business. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and that's going to wrap up the show tonight. And uh, I want to say thank you all to listening for Trickle Down Theories. And again, please leave a like and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Khalid H. Alshami and my own at Eric Trickle. And make sure you're following Nick Kendall at Nick Kendall MHH. He is currently in Indianapolis at the Scouting Combine interviewing players. And he often asks for questions that you guys want to hear. And he'll ask the players if he can. And we're always willing to respond and converse with you guys. And we love it. It's again, it's without your support, we wouldn't be here. So we just love interacting with you guys. Also, please follow at Mile Huddle for all of our written work. And it all comes from MileEyeHuddle.com as well. And follow at Huddle Up Pod for the podcasts that are regularly focused on the Denver Broncos and the NFL draft, depending on if you're listening to Chad Jensen's or Nick Kendall's show. And keep an eye out or an ear out because here soon I'm going to be doing live breakdowns of players over on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Eric Trickle. So I got to say... As always, it's been a great time with you, and I hope to have you again on again in the future, Cleed. For Cleed, I'm your host, Eric Trickle, and thank you for listening to Trickle Down Theories, and have a wonderful night. Mile High Huddle.